Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson continues his series titled Real with Part 5, Real Worship. Ever feel like not going to church? Is believers gathering together really important? Three exciting things can and should happen when we come together. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Real, where we are looking at a real letter written to a real church about real issues facing them, and we're trying to make some application for our own lives today. And so this morning, I want to talk about the concept of real worship, real worship. Now, by this morning, when I talk about worship, I'm not really talking about just the act of worship, uh, what hopefully what a lot of us just did as we worshiped the Lord. There's a lot of expressions of worship. What I'm talking about this morning is our corporate gathering. When we come together corporately, some of us say come into church but what, what is our corporate gathering all about? Verse 26 in chapter 14 is, is kind of the key passage. It says, what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? The first church, it was important. They had a priority of coming together. We also know in the early church through the first century, they came together and that was important to them. It's still important that we gather corporately together today, and there's several reasons why that we're going to talk about, but the reality is, even though it's really important, it's really hard sometimes. This whole idea of coming together and coming to church, I remember my wife, you know, I've been in ministry the whole time since we've been married, so I was always up at church early, so Denise always had to get our boys ready by herself, and she also taught all the time, so she's also getting all her stuff ready, and she said, undoubtedly, every Sunday, our oldest son, he acted out the worst every single Sunday. Just part of the is. Some of you that have young kids know what I'm talking about. It's hard to get here. I heard this story where this little girl, her parents didn't go to church. She lived pretty close to the church, so she would walk to church every Sunday. She was late this particular Sunday, so she's running to church. As she's running, she's saying, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Dear Lord, please don't let me be late. Well, while she's running and praying, she trips over the curb and she falls on the sidewalk and she dirties up her dress and she kind of tears it in one place and kind of scuffs up her elbows and arms. So she stops, she stands up, she kind of gathers herself and gets ready and then she starts running again and she's praying, Dear Lord, please don't let me be late, but please don't shove me either. <laughs> you ever feel like you've been shoved to church? Your body's here. But man, everything else is just like, it's nuts, it's crazy. Well, throw on top of that a trend that says corporate worship is not important. In fact, the younger the generation, the, the less important corporate worship uh, is becoming. And there's a lot of reasons why. Some of them is they, they feel like they can just get in a, a, you know, a small group of a few friends and that's good enough. You know, with our technology now, I can hear the greatest sermons online. I can listen to the greatest music online. I can read my Bible at home. And so there's this tendency to kind of devalue the importance and the dynamic of corporate worship. So that's part of the reason we want to look at this today is why is corporate worship important? Why did the early church do it? Why should we still do it today? Now, in chapter 14, there are... Uh, 
several difficult passages in this chapter um, that dealt with the Corinthians' corporate worship experience. And it creates some difficulty in interpretation. Some of these verses deal with women in the church and the corporate experience. Some of it deals with this deal of tongues and prophecy going back and forth. I want to say this morning, I'm not dealing with any of those issues this morning. We'll probably deal with them down the road, but I'm not dealing with them this morning because I want to stay focused on what we're talking about in real worship. I will say one thing just to help us, and that is when Paul gives the instruction to the Corinthian church, his instruction is descriptive, not prescriptive. In other words, he's talking about how they're doing it and how they should do it in the context of what they're doing. They're not giving this rule for all time, for all people of, of all ages to do it. He, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. So there are some rabbits that we can chase today. We're not gonna chase them. We're just gonna kind of let them run around and do their own thing. We'll hit them some other time. This morning, I wanna deal specifically with this concept of real worship. What's involved in it? Why is it important? What are some dynamics with it? And to do that, I want us to picture this as our visual this morning. Just a house, just picture a house. When a builder building a house, obviously there's a lot of things he's thinking through. But part of what has to take place for it to be successful is proper order. There's an order to how this house has to be built. You have to do all the, the dirt work and what goes in the dirt. Then you do the foundation and then you frame it up and then you do all your electrical and you wall it in and then you come in and paint it and floor it and do all the, 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 the finishing touches on it. There has to be an order. Can you imagine if every sub showed up at the same morning, at the same time, and everybody wanted to do their job at exactly the same time? It'd be a fiasco. It'd be chaos. There has to be an order to the construction. On top of that, there has to be a variety of participation. One person isn't doing it all. You have a variety of subs. You have your electrical contractors and your plumbers and your, and your cement guys and your framing guys and your flooring guys and on and on and on and on. So you see this variety of partic participation that constructs this. But then you have to remember all of that has to do with the purpose for the builder building the house. He has a purpose for building the house. Now, some people may say it's because he wants to make money, but that probably is a purpose. But really, the ultimate purpose is for somebody to live in the home and it's going to become their home. Now, this is the visual <clears throat> that we're going to look at because <clears throat> as we talk about real worship this morning, these same three dynamics are going to be part of the process as we walk through here. So as we go through here, I want to give you three words. When we talk about real worship, why it's important, what's it composed of, just remember these three words. And the first two words kind of push us to the third word, which is the main word. Here's the first word, and that's propriety. Propriety, that simply means a proper order. Look in verse 33, the first part of that says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Verse 39, therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now, there's a couple of issues in here that, again, that we're not gonna deal with this morning. But the context here is there are, there's some stuff going on in the Corinthian church that Paul has to address. One of those things is competition instead of cooperation. Everybody's competing against one another. We see this in chapter one when people are saying, hey, I'm following Apollos, I'm following Paul, I'm following Cephas, I'm following Jesus. There's this competition going on of who's the real 
important people in the situation. So everybody wants to throw their, their information out there. We also see this in the context of gifts when you look through 1 Corinthians, that some people think some gifts are more important than other gifts. They're better than other gifts. And if you're really spiritual, you have a certain gift. And so you have all this conflict of who's got the best gift and who's going to practice the gift the best way. You also have disorder. Evidently, you just have people doing whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, however they want to do it. In the same time, you have this concept of worldliness still that has invaded the Corinthian church. Remember way back we talked about, Paul said, I'd like to address you as spiritual, but you're still worldly, so I have to address you as worldly. There's still worldliness, how they look. They're still trying to fit in with the world on how they look, how they act. They give an example about the Lord's Supper. Back then when they had the Lord's Supper, they'd have, they'd have a, like a feast, a big meal, and then they would have the elements. Well, at the Lord's Supper, man, people are just getting drunk. They're just getting smashed before they even get to the deal. Then others are just pigging out. They're just eating. There's like a feast. You have other people that are poor that don't have the ability, and they don't have any food. Anyway, it's just chaos. It's just, it's just inappropriate behavior. So Paul's looking at all that and says, hey, number one, there has to be a proper order. And that's the point he's making. There has to be order in a corporate worship environment. Why? Because of the purpose, which we'll get to in just a moment. Here's the second word. Participation. Look at verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Now again... What Paul's talking about here is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. But in this context, he's given us a principle. And the principle is participation. More appropriately, orderly participation. Some of their corporate gatherings back in the first century would look more like our life groups where we're sitting around, everybody's talking, there's discussion, different people are weighing in and giving their input and all the people are taking turns praying. It'd have that kind of dynamic. Other corporate experiences back then would be more like what we're doing this morning, a, a, a larger corporate gathering where there's just, there are fewer people participating. But the concept here is there's got to be corporate participation. So here's the first application for us this morning. How does that apply? What that means is when we come to corporate worship, come ready to participate. When we gather here together, when we come together, as verse 26 says, be ready to participate. In other words, when we sing, sing. I mean, just sing. Give it all you got. Go all in. It doesn't matter if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. It doesn't matter if dogs start howling when you start singing. It doesn't matter if the tile falls off in your shower when you sing in the shower. It doesn't matter. We're to make a joyful noise. We're to sing a new song to the Lord. When we are singing, man, go all in and participate and lift your voice before the Lord in exaltation and celebration. When we pray, pray. <laughs> whether it's somebody up here leading a prayer, whether it's those times we have people that we lay hands on and gather around and pray for, 
whether it's what we did earlier this morning of just some quiet time where it's just you and the Lord, when we have time of prayer, pray. The tendency is to just start thinking around and just kind of sit there and just wait till this is over or what am I going to do here after our service? It, it, we want to do a lot of things, but the, the concept is pray, participate. Be an encourager. When you come here, get involved in the life of those that are here. Meet people, welcome one another, be friendly, enjoy the life. If you've got a word that you need to share, come tell me, hey, Daryl, I've got a word. I think God's given me a word to share. Now, we may need to go talk and let you share that word just to be sure it's a word that the congregation needs to hear. But God's doing things in your life that the church needs to hear. And that's part of the dynamic and the experience of being able to hear what God is saying to you and what God's doing in your life. So participate is the second dynamic. That leads us to the third word, which I want to camp out on a little bit longer. And that's purpose. What is the purpose of corporate worship, of coming together? Look in verse 26. Again, it says, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Look back in verse 4. He who speaks in the tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Verse 12, so it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Now again, this context that he's talking about is tongues and prophecy, which is that rabbit we're just going to run around here for a couple of weeks. But he's talking about what's going on. His point with the tongues and the, and the prophecy is when you speak in a corporate setting, it's important that you speak in intelligible words in a way that people can understand. When we're talking, you want those listening to be able to understand what you say, or are saying. Why? Because of the purpose. And he uses three dynamics here. Verse 5, he says, so the church will be edified. Verse 12, he says, so you will build up the church. And verse 26 says, for the strengthening of the church. Now, what's interesting is in Greek, all three of those words, edify, build up, and strengthen, are all the same Greek word. And that Greek word means to strengthen, to embolden, to develop, to edify, if you will. And it's the exact same word, of this. Back in the day when they would use that Greek word, they used that word for the constructing and the building of a building, of an edifice. It's the same dynamic and it has the same core. Just like you have to have proper order, you have to have participation so that the purpose is manifest in construction. It's the same word. It's the same idea. What he's really saying is propriety plus participation will yield the purpose. If we come together in this whole dynamic, then the church is able to fulfill the purpose as we come together. And the body, we're edified, we're built up, we're strengthened, and we're emboldened. So with that concept in mind, with the edification, there are three dynamics that should take place when we gather together. When we come together, these three things should be happening in your life and in our midst. Here's the first one. It's what I'm going to call worship. 
or a connection to God. There ought to be a connection to God that happens with you. If you look back in chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. In verse 12, We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. When we gather together, there should be a connection with God, where our spirit connects with the spirit of God, where he's able to teach us, where he's able to minister to us, where he's able to speak to us. There should be an encounter that takes place between me and God that leads to my strengthening and emboldening and edification. That's why one of the parts of our four-part vision statement says, experience God. <laughs> we want everybody that comes into River Fellowship to experience God, to be able to experience his love and grace and power and peace and presence and his working in us and among us. When we gather together, something real should be happening between me and God. It's an opportunity to allow the spirit of God to move in us and to minister to us and to impact our life and situation. It doesn't always happen. Now, I think God's always ready because when we come together, he's always ready to speak and to minister and to connect. But unfortunately, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes we're not clued in. I've been in ministry, I don't know, 35 years now. So I've been on church staff for a long time. But some of my positions, I was not really responsible for the corporate worship gathering. I had another role. So I would just go to the, the gatherings, just attending like everyone else. And there was times I would, a lot of times, unfortunately that I would go to service and I, I'm just, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not into it. I don't want to be there. Stuff's going on in my head. I, 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 I'm not, I'm just not there. And I leave and God's not done anything in my life. God hasn't spoken to me at all. I leave in a worse mood than when I came. And what's funny is the music would be great. The preaching would be great. Other people are coming out of the service saying, man, that was a great service. I'm so fired up. And I'm going, it was awful. <laughs> the service wasn't the problem. I was the problem. There have also been times when I've gone into services and the music was awful and the preaching was terrible. But God did something in my spirit and I left going, my goodness, I met with God this morning and he did X in my life. What happens in a corporate gathering isn't always what's happening up here. It's what's happening in here that we're expecting God. And here's another point of application for us this morning. When we come to the corporate gathering, come expecting God to move. Come expecting to meet with God. Come expecting to encounter God. God, come with anticipation, come with expectancy, come with this dynamic of I'm coming in here and I want to meet God. I need him to do something in my life. I need to have some communication. I need for something real to happen in my life. That's the dynamic. My prayer every week, on Sunday mornings when I pray before we get together and all week when I'm in preparation, my, my, my 
common prayer every week is that when we come together, that the Spirit of God would be released and, re- and received that the Spirit of God would have freedom to move in our midst and so that when we gather together that the Spirit of God is speaking to every single one of you. My prayer is that when we leave from a Sunday morning gathering that every single person leaves saying, I encountered God this morning. God spoke to me this morning. God's Spirit did something in my life and in my situation. Just imagine what would happen if all of us came every week with that expectation that I long to hear from God and to meet with Him. Here's the second thing that should be taking place in our gathering. It's what I'll call encouragement. And this is a connection to each other. Verse 26 again says, when we come together. It doesn't just say when we come. It says when we come together. And there's an emphasis of us being together. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up meeting together, coming together, but let us encourage one another. There's a power, there's a dynamic that takes place when we gather together, when we come together and join our hearts Together, something begins to happen. And there's something that we miss when we don't come together, when we isolate. Corporate worship reminds us that we're not alone. We can draw from the strength of others. Denise and I have been married, I think, 35 years. Uh, And in those 35 years, it hasn't been all roses and candy canes. Uh, Life has happened. We've had seasons of great discouragement, great disappointment, struggle, hardship, et cetera, like I know many of you guys have. But something that's been interesting is that God has dealt with us at different paces and put us at different places. In other words, there have been times when I'm, I got to the point where I'm just, I'm completely discouraged. I'm completely down. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm done. This, this, whatever. Denise is just the opposite. God's been working in her heart and her spirit and she's in a really good place and she's in a strong place and she's able to encourage me and lift me up. It's been just the opposite too. Times when she finally hit the wall and she's done. Well, God's doing a work in me and I'm able to encourage her and so we're able to draw from the strength and the support of one another. Multiply that by a congregation, by a body of believers that can come together and draw on the strength of one another. Part of the dynamic that should be taking place when we come together is we encourage one another. There's a connection to each other that gives us the strength and the ability and the excitement to continue to go on to say we can make it because I've got somebody alongside me giving me that strength. That's why two other, that's why the the second part of our vision statement is embrace community. That's what it's about, that we love one another well. Here's a third application for us this morning. One of our major objectives when we come together, one of your major objectives when we come together should be to be an encourager. Because one of the reasons you're coming here should be, I'm going to encourage somebody. Now, the reality is sometimes we're coming and we're the ones that need the encouragement, (laughs) We need to be encouraged. But there are a lot of times we're in a good place 
And we need to come with the expectation, the mindset that says part of my role is to encourage somebody here this morning. There's somebody here that needs to hear a word from you. There's somebody that needs to be welcomed and greeted and invited and said, I am so glad that you are here. Hey, what's going on? Is there anything I can do for you? We need to be encouragers. It's really, really, really easy to get here about two or three minutes before the service starts and just come and sit down. And right after we say amen and dismiss, we go out the door. We don't talk to anybody. We don't mingle with anybody. We won't fail. It's easy to do that. But we have to remember part of the dynamic is not what you're receiving. It's not just about you. It's about everybody else. And how can God use me to impact somebody else that's here? So I can be an encourager and I can invest in somebody else's life. Here's the third aspect, the third dynamic that should be happening. It should be worship where there's a connection to God. It should be encouragement where there's a connection to each other. And the third is outreach, what I'll call outreach, which is a connection to the world. As you look through 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks in multiple places about preaching the gospel, about preaching Christ crucified. Earlier in chapter 14, he's talking about the impact on unbelievers in, the, in this corporate worship setting, what's going on in the corporate worship setting, the impact that it has on unbelievers, which tells us there are unbelievers in there. And that was part of the dynamic of the early church when they're ministering to their friends and family and, and et cetera. They're, they're kind of bringing them into this corporate worship environment so there are unbelievers in there hearing the gospel as well. Part of being built up and strengthened and encouraged when we build up the body, that, that means numerically, that means people coming to Christ. We're not talking about building up the, the church of a local church. We're talking about building up the kingdom. When Jesus said, I will build my church, what he's saying is there'll be more people coming to Christ, faith in Christ, and the church is going gonna, is gonna to build up and grow. That's part of the dynamic of outreach. That's why we have two more foundational vision statements, which is to exalt Christ and engage the world. It's this dynamic right here. Here's the last application point. Corporate worship is a great opportunity to bring people who don't know Christ. It's a great opportunity for us when we're out in the world, we're in our work environments, those that we work with, other family members, neighbors, people we come in contact with, people we're trying to build relationships with that may not know Christ. It's a great opportunity to say, hey, why don't you come to River Fellowship with us? Get them exposed in a corporate environment because when unbelievers come here, even though they may not understand everything that's going on, if in this environment there's a connection to God and people are connecting with God and, and God's spirit is moving, they are going to sense that and it's an opportunity for an unbeliever to be exposed to the movement of the spirit of God. When they see in the encouragement of one another and the community that's taking place and the love that's taking, it, 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 it's going to do something to that unbeliever. So it's a great opportunity for us to reach out and bring others here that don't know Christ. If I could take all that that I just said and put it in one little package, here's what I would say about corporate worship. In part, our corporate gathering should be what I'm going to call a prep rally. A prep rally. When I was in high school, I played basketball. I didn't play football. Basketball team never got a pep rally. It was all about the football team. 
They get the pep rallies. No bitterness or anything. <laughs> but we all know pep rallies. We've all seen the pep rallies. Everybody's fired up. Everybody's excited. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's yelling and screaming. What's the purpose of the pep rally? The pep rally is to get everybody fired up for the game. The pep rally is not an end of itself. It's not all about the pep rally. And once the pep rally's done, okay, we're done. The pep rally is all about getting people prepared for the game. That's what our corporate worship experience, our gathering should be. It is a prep rally. It's not an end of itself. It's not, just, hey, let's come to church. We're done. Okay. No, it's preparation for us tomorrow when we get in the game. It's preparation. Number one, it's preparation for mayhem. <laughs> See the Allstate commercial? You guys know what I'm talking about? The Allstate commercial, this guy that he calls himself mayhem and he's all these scenarios where he just destroys himself and everything in his path. Well, the tagline here, it's an Allstate commercial. He says, by having Allstate, you're better, protect, you're better protected for mayhem like me. Well, the reality is corporate gathering, it protects us, it prepares us for mayhem because you don't know tomorrow what's gonna come. You don't know the tribulation you may face, the persecution you may endure, the struggle that may come. You don't know what bad news you may receive. But this is a time that should prepare us for whatever life's mayhem is going to bring on us. But it's also preparation for ministry. It equips us, it gets us fired up, it trains us, it teaches us, it gives us the ability to go out so that once we go out into the game, we are now ready for ministry. We're now able and ready and fired up to engage the world. We feel empowered to live out our faith. Now we can go out on the offensive instead of feeling like we're always on the defensive. So it's a time for God's Spirit to move in us and do a work in us that emboldens us, strengthens us, and encourages us. It's an opportunity that we can gather together with one another and say, I'm not going out there and living this all on my own. I have an, a whole army out there doing the same thing, and it gives us the ability and the preparation to do that. One thing I have noticed when I, I did youth ministry for a lot of years, and so I went to a lot of schools, a lot of pep rallies on Friday and when you would look through that, everybody's fired up, everybody's screaming, ah, everybody's going. But then you see some of, those, some of the football guys sitting on their chair like this. They're just too cool to participate, you know? Just sitting there. May that not be us. God wants to move in us. He wants to move among us. He wants to use us. He wants to, at this time to be a time of celebration, of praise, of excitement, of energy, of life. May we not be this, but may we take advantage of the opportunity to connect with God, to connect with each other and give us the tools and the strength that when we hit the game tomorrow, we're ready and he can use us to change lives, to exalt Christ, and make a difference and an impact in the world. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.